Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Good evening. If you'll go ahead and open your Bibles up to the book of Acts, we will be continuing on through our survey of the book, particularly handling Acts chapter 10 uh, into chapter 11, and try to fit in the whole story of Cornelius tonight. So uh, Acts chapter 10, that's where uh, we're going to be. I, I, I think I made you do, hopefully, at least a little bit of thinking this morning. So tonight, I'm hoping to just kind of settle back a little bit and just enjoy the story. Because there is an incredible story here as you go through Gen- or Acts chapter 10 uh, in the story of Cornelius and the story of his conversion. Uh, and there, there's a couple of things that really stand out to me as I go through this story. And I, I want to point those out from the beginning so that you can be looking for them also. We're not going to read it, but we're going to at least go back and tell the details of the story. Uh, One of the things that really stands out to me is the reaction of the church. If you understand what's going on here and how revolutionary this event is right here in the center of the book of Acts, you start to understand just what a remarkable response the Christians have. The second thing I want you to note as you go through the story is how involved God is in every step of the process. Uh, The story is rather repetitive, the way Luke tells it. Uh, You've got the story of what happened to Cornelius with his vision, then you have Peter's vision, then you have Cornelius retelling his vision, Then you have the events that happen. Then you have Peter going back and retelling his vision. I mean, you've just got a lot of events and then retellings of events. But in every single one of those pieces of the story, the primary player in the event is God. It's God doing something. God is revealing a change that is coming to the church here at this moment. And you see that be the the acceptance of the early church. And so I think both of those are are worth noting from the beginning. We're going to note them again as we go through the story. And then we'll draw some application in the end. So let's start with the beginning. Really the beginning of the story is before Peter's vision. Uh, You've got a man named Cornelius. We don't know a lot about Cornelius other than his character, and that part I do want to read. It says here, verse 2, chapter 10, verse 2, he was a devout man. Uh, He feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. Now notice, he's not the typical Greek or Roman He's not praying to this God among the gods, and he is not praying to this God as if he is just the greatest of the gods. 
here, the way it is it, it's worded here, he feared God. Well, you don't fear God and accept other gods at the same time. You don't find yourself devotedly following Yahweh while also accepting and giving service to Zeus. Those two things just don't go hand in hand. Not only that, you find he's the kind of man who puts his, uh, his, his money where his mouth is. He, he makes sure that he is acting on what he believes. So he's not just one who fears God and, and has a devotion to God, but he has a devotion to the people he recognizes as God's people. He's a man who recognizes that those Jewish people that most Romans hate, he is going to do charitable deeds for them. He's going to pray to their God because he wants their God to be his God. And so then the story progresses with him having a vision and an angel comes to him in a vision and the angel basically says, you need to send for Peter who's staying in the house of Simon the Tanner up in Joppa, and he will come and he will tell you everything you need to do. And I've heard it pointed out many times. It's interesting that the angel didn't just tell him what he needed to do. That needed to come from another man. And so he does exactly that. But there's, a, there's an unstated detail in here that, that I find particularly interesting uh, you look there in verse 7 and 8. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, here's what I find remarkable about this small little detail. You look a little bit later in the story. Those men show up at the house of Simon the Tanner. And Peter invites them in for the night. I don't know if you've ever paid attention to that, but what does that mean? Could Peter have invited Gentiles into the home of Simon the Tanner in Joppa? If Simon's a Jew, which we assume he is because he has a Jewish name, and Peter's a Jew... And they haven't yet recognized God has opened the door to Gentiles. And Peter even flat out says a little bit later, it is wrong according to my people for me to come into your house. Could Peter have invited Gentiles into his house or into his, his Jewish friend's house to stay the night? No. Which tells me something about Cornelius. Cornelius was the kind of man who recognized the understandings and even the prejudices of the Jewish people and respected them. Because he could have sent just any of his soldiers. But he sent two servants and a soldier in particular, and I think the reason he chose those three, although it's not stated, is that he chose Jewish men to go to a Jewish man's house to retrieve a Jewish teacher to come and teach him about the Jewish God. That's remarkable to me. And we live in a culture where we are quick to scream bigot 
and we are quick to call something racist, and we are quick to try to make a mountain out of a molehill over some little comment that is made. Uh, not, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying people don't make racist comments and that those aren't big deals, but we make what aren't racist comments racist claims and then make a mountain out of a molehill. Cornelius recognized the actual true prejudice that existed against him and respected it because he cared more about being connected to this God than he did his pride or he did his identity or he did any other thing. That is remarkable, is it not? It, it really is an amazing uh, he is an amazing man. And so you can see why God is reaching out to him, not necessarily because he's earned God's attention or favor, but because he is going to be essentially the poster child of the gospel going to the Gentiles. And so God chooses a good man for that. You read on, Peter's in Joppa. Resting on a rooftop, my kind of man. He has a vision. And his vision is not of, a, of an angel coming down to speak to him, but it's of a sheet that is coming down from the heavens. And it is being lowered by its four corners. And on that sheet, there are all types of animals. Read, clean and unclean animal. Various types. Uh, I would assume they are recognizable animals. They are animals that, that Peter is aware of, he knows, and they are the kind of animals that Peter has made the choice in the past, that's an animal I can eat and that's an animal I cannot eat. Because he's told to kill and eat. And what's Peter's response? No, no, no. No. I, I've never, I, I, I cannot. He says specifically there, verse 14, no, Lord. I always find it interesting how often Peter is known for telling God no when he disagrees with God. And how many times when that happens, he has to be told how many times before he'll agree? Three. Same story here. No, Lord. No, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. The second time, he is told to kill and eat. Oh, excuse me, it's explained what God has made clean, do not call impure. And we know that, that that little conversation happens three times. Three times for Peter. Now again, it is interesting to me that when Cornelius receives a message from God, the message is send for the answer up here. Send to Joppa, a man will come and tell you what you need to know. It is interesting to me that in Peter's case, he's given a vision, but is he actually given the answer? Not really. Uh, you read on and it says, verse 17, while Peter was deeply perplexed about the vision he had, or what the vision he had seen might mean. 
Uh, he's not told, okay, you know, like we are sometimes over in Zechariah, another of the prophets, you know, what, you know, Daniel would ask the angel, what does this mean? And the angel goes, well, let me give you the explanation. That doesn't happen here for Peter. Peter is given this, this vision, this dream, this, this story that happens in his head, and he is left wondering what in the world that was about. And so he has to do that job. Well, right about that time, he receives a visitor. Uh, those men that Cornelius has sent have showed up. They call out. Uh, he's told three men are there looking for him. He goes down, tells them, this is me. Why are you here? And they say, and I want to read this part, verse 22. Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation, was divinely directed to a, by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you. I don't know what's going on in Peter's head. I would imagine he, he immediately recognizes the, the, the name Cornelius as a non-Jewish name. It is possible because Cornelius is well known and has a great reputation among the Jewish people that he has even heard of Cornelius. This, this is a a man that I'm aware of that is a Roman, but he has a great respect for the Jewish people and he sends money to the Jewish people and he has a great respect for God. We don't know how much Peter knows. But we do know Peter is starting to piece some of this together. He invites these servants in, as I mentioned earlier, and they come in and they stay for the night. And the next day they get up and they go out and they go down to Caesarea and Cornelius was expecting them and had called all of his relatives and close friends together. I, 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 again, I, I love that picture. Don't you? He goes to Cornelius' house, and it's not Cornelius sitting there at a table just uh, by himself, but he, uh, he, he's invited all the people he knows in. This isn't a one-on-one -on -one Bible study. This is an audience audience of all the people Cornelius knows and loves that will come. And, and you got to imagine, I, 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 and again, we're not told all of these details, but I would imagine they knew why they were coming. I, I don't believe this is a bait and switch. Well, come on over. We're going to have a really good storyteller come by. Or, 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 or come on over. We're going to have a really nice meal. And then right about the time you get to dessert, it's uh, if, if I can have your attention, please, like those old salesmen that would come in. You know, I, I, I don't think that's what we, we've got going on here. Cornelius is known for his interest in God. Cornelius is respected for his character and for his faith. And he brings in his relatives and he brings in his friends and they come in because he is expecting a man of God to come who has been, he has been told about by an angel from God. That's somebody we all need to hear talk. And so he brings in everyone he knows. And he tells Peter the story. Uh, Peter shows up. 
Uh, there's the story of Cornelius. When he met him, he falls down at his feet, and Peter said, get up. I, I'm just a man. No bowing down to me. They get to talking, and Peter says in verse 28, you know it is forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner, but God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. So Peter has connected the dots, right? That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So may I ask why you have sent for me? And of course, Cornelius responds with his story. Well, four days ago, I was praying and an angel came and gave me a message and said that your prayers have been heard and send to this man and he will come and tell you what you need to do. You know what that tells me Cornelius was praying about? What do I need to do? He was a seeker. He was somebody who wanted to know more. He was somebody who didn't just want to be a foreigner with respect for this God. He wanted to belong to this God. And so he knew Peter was coming with that answer because God had told him that. Well, Peter preaches uh, he, he realizes this is an open door and he preaches the gospel message to this Gentile man. And it's a great message. Read with me here, starting in verse 34. Now I truly understand that God does not show favoritism, but in every nation the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the event that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all of those who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem. And yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Now that last phrase of the sermon is super important. Let me read that again. All the prophets testify about him, Jesus, that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Everyone. Is that important in this conversation? as Peter is standing before a Gentile man who wants to know more about this God, Peter basically says, this is exactly what the prophets told us was gonna happen. Everyone can receive forgiveness of sins. That's, that's an amazing message to a man who has felt separated from his God. I mean, put yourself in Cornelius' shoes. Cornelius, he served this God. He has prayed 
to this God of the Jewish people. He had given alms and charity to the people of this God, but up until now, it has always been their God. Peter is saying now it, he can be your God. That, that's an incredible message. That, that is, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know what Cornelius thought at that moment, but I can't imagine that he sat still. I, I would imagine if he was sitting in a chair, he's out of his chair right now whooping. I, 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 don't, I don't know the decorum of the day or if that would have been, uh, you know, not kind of a social faux pas. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what he's running into from an expectation basis. But I don't know how he's sitting still. Because he has just been told the God you have served, the God you have served so well and so long that you now have a reputation for serving that God can be your God. And that is the best news you could ever hear. But in Cornelius's case, it gets even better. Because God makes this message so clear that Peter's response is, if this is what happened, what, what stops us from going all the way? You see, right after this, while Peter is still speaking, the Holy Spirit comes down and it comes on these Gentile believers and they start speaking in tongues and declaring that God is amazing. And Peter's response is, can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and they asked him to stay for a few days. So I, I love that now here, uh, the end of the message, the end of the story is God confirms, yes, Peter, you drew the right conclusion. Cornelius, you did the right thing. Yes, y'all are understanding this correctly. I'll prove it to you. And then they take it the rest of the way by baptizing Cornelius and his household. Uh, it, it's an incredible story. And I... I, I don't know that we always let it hit home because you can really, truly find yourself in the skin of each one of these, these characters. Peter as a teacher who's having the aha moment. Cornelius as the, as the foreigner, as the sinner, who is suddenly having hope he's never had before. God who's rejoicing in heaven that it's all coming together. It, it, it's a wonderful victory for the church and for Peter. So Peter goes back to Jerusalem. And as is typical, <laughs> after a really awesome thing happens, immediately the criticism starts. The apostles are faced with men who are criticizing Peter because he went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. You know, Peter has had his eyes open to the fact that it, what he says back in, in chapter 10, verse 34, truly I understand now God does not show favoritism. What are these men arguing here in, in uh, chapter 11, verse 1 and 2? 
God does show favoritism. Because you went in and you ate with uncircumcised men. And so Peter has to explain to him, to them, his story. I was in Joppa. I saw this sheet come down. This voice said, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I said, no, I don't eat impure things. And it said, what God has made clean, you must not call impure. That happened three times. I went down to Caesarea. While there, uh, we, we were um, uh, there and we saw this man come and the Holy Spirit descended on them just as it, he did on us at the beginning. And look with me here in verse 16. I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he also gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? Do you see who Peter gives the credit to here? Not how could you possibly hinder me. Not how could, could we get in the way of Cornelius and what he was searching for. No, no, no. In Peter's mind, how could we get in the way of what God is doing? You know, he goes back to Jerusalem and faces conflict and has to explain what happened with Cornelius and all of those events. And that honestly could have gone a lot of different directions. I, I don't know if we have any reason to suspect that he wouldn't face uh, overwhelming conflict and persecution because of what he's done. But look with me there in chapter 11, verse 18. When they heard this, they became silent. And then glorified God, saying, So then God has given repentance, resulting in life, even to the Gentiles. Quiet acceptance. This story becomes the turning point in the book of Acts. It becomes the kind of the, the hinge moment where things are now gonna start really taking off and exploding. I mean, at, at this point, when you're here in chapters 10 and 11, we've had the gospel go fairly well in Jerusalem and then it went up to Samaria and that, that was pretty good. We, we were pretty happy about what happened in Samaria. And now we're over in Caesarea, but all of these are cities that are fairly close to Jerusalem. Like we're, we're kind of keeping it pretty contained within the homeland of the Jewish people. Cornelius in Caesarea becomes a Christian, and by the time you get into chapters 12 and 13 and 14, we start taking the gospel far away from the Jewish homeland. Because this opens a door that becomes the floodgates for the gospel. Because Cornelius was willing to love a God that couldn't be his God. And Peter was willing to love a God well enough to excuse himself away from the expectations of his people. And the church was willing to love their God well enough to accept his will. It's a great story. A couple of lessons from this story. One is... We are not saved by devotion and good works. 
You, you see that in Cornelius, right? I mean, that, that's a fairly often uh, a recognized point from this story. Cornelius is, is recognized as being a remarkable man. Uh, he is serving a God who can't even be his God, it seems. Why he never became a proselyte, I don't know. But for whatever reason, he had decided he was going to serve this God from a distance while seeking to serve this God with intimacy. But it didn't matter how much devotion and how much money he gave to and charitable works and how many prayers he prayed and prayers even seeking salvation, it seems, from the context of the story. It didn't matter how much he did that. What you find is when God gives the answer, he says, send for Peter who will come and tell you what you must do. And what did Peter tell him to do? Turn to God and be baptized. That, 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 that's the answer. That's the answer. It is not about good works and earning salvation. It's about dependence on a God who gifts us salvation. And, and Cornelius teaches us that lesson. Secondly, you learn in the story of Cornelius that we should expect God to open unexpected doors. God has a way of throwing open doors we never expected to happen. I have heard story after story after story of, of the, 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 the man that was covered in tattoos and coming out of drug addiction who, who turned to Jesus. And many of us would look at that man and walk the other direction, or we'd be like that, that priest and Levite walking on the other side of the street, or at least locking the doors of our car, right? Or, or the, the homeless man who can barely read, he responds to the gospel. On the flip side, I, I've heard many stories about the man who, who was a pastor, and his father was a pastor, and his grandfather was a pastor, and yet when he heard the truth, he responded to it and turned to Jesus. It, it doesn't matter who you're talking about. If the person needs Jesus, God can work mighty things in that person's life. And we've got to be willing to let God do unexpected things and open doors we didn't expect him to open. I'm reminded of a story where my wife was a kindergarten teacher uh, for a couple of years. And... Uh, she was a kindergarten teacher, I think, with five other teachers. There were six of them in the kindergarten area of her school. And my wife would often get into Bible conversations with different people, but there was, all, there was that one teacher that she had just never really approached because it was a, what's the point? Of those five teachers she worked with, guess which one responded to the gospel? And when she did, she was a short little lady. Uh, I, I, I saw her picture the other day um, fairly well after she was baptized. Um, she, she had taken her down in the water. And when I pulled her up, she was literally jumping in the baptismal pool. So excited. Because she had grown up hearing the truth and had just never understood it. Finally, she responded. God can do amazing things in a lot of amazing ways, and we often, I think, 
cut God off at the knees because we're unwilling to go out there and share his truth. I think you also find in this story that seeking people find what God is offering. What is it that we're told over in Matthew chapter 7? Seek and you will find. Ask and it'll be given to you. Knock and the door will be opened. Because the one who asks, to him it is given. To the one who seeks, he finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Cornelius is a seeker. He's an asker. He's praying to God, knocking on the door, saying, God, when can I come in? And God opens the door. Another lesson I think you learn is that we got to be willing to go where nobody else is going if we want to reach people that nobody else is reaching. That I, I, I don't know that anybody would have, without Peter's direction from God, said, oh yeah, I'll go teach Cornelius. Not because he was a bad man, but because he was the wrong race. Yet God was willing to open that door, and Peter was willing to go, and that made all the difference. One of the problems we have in the church today is that we're all the same. We're all the same. We, we don't celebrate the differences. And because of that, we end up running into a lot of difficulties trying to reach people who aren't the same. You, you know, uh, and, and I've said this many times since in the last two years that I've been here, that God, the, the most potent and, and useful opportunities to share the truth with somebody is when they are in pain or experiencing change. But here's the problem. Most of us, we don't go through that much pain and we don't go through that much change. No, I'm, I'm not trivializing what we do experience. I, I know we do, and I know we have health crises and, and, and things like that. I, I know that those things are true. But here's the problem. When we do go through them, we stay real quiet about it. And nobody really ever knows. And since we do that, so do our neighbors. And so we don't know when our neighbors are in pain or when they're experiencing change. And, and, and so unless it's something really obvious, like the, maybe a death of a loved one, and we're like, well, now's not a good time to talk to them. And, and so we, we, we just, we don't really go often where we know there is pain and change. You know where there's pain and change? On the streets of Birmingham. You know where there's a lot of pain and change in, in a lot of the poorer communities? That's where there's a lot of pain and change. You want to know where seekers are? Find where things are painful or things are changing and go there. But that, that's the part that makes us uncomfortable. But that's really the place where things are most successful when it comes to this kind of thing. And, and so we've got to be willing to go. Uh, my, my, um, pick on my brother for a minute. My, my brother several years ago 
was working uh, with just a member of a church, but he has always been very evangelistic and getting out and talking to people. My brother was always really into gaming, uh, game, you know, board games and Dungeons and Dragons and all that kind of stuff. And so that's who he'd bring to church with him. Those were the people he hung out with. Those were the people he was exposed to. He'd bring them to church, and, and he said it was so sad because he'd bring them and nobody would talk to him. No, nobody wanted to talk to that guy with the, uh, with the strange facial hair and taps all over his arms, and he's wearing this T-shirt that, that, that people are looking at going, is that devil symbols or not? I, I don't know. And, 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 and so nobody would talk to him. And then they wouldn't want to come back. Several of them he even had the opportunity to baptize. You know where they never went back to, though? To that church where nobody cared for him. Because we are comfortable with people like us. And then we need to learn to be comfortable with people who are different than us. If we really want to make a difference. Another lesson from Cornelius' story is that people will always take issue with God's work. Always. My dad, one time, uh, had, I can't remember what the number was. I'm pretty sure it was seven. He had baptized seven people in one weekend from two different families. Five people from one family, two from another. That Sunday, none of them were at church. And my dad was accused of preaching a, a, a simple, simplified gospel that didn't really require anything out of anybody and therefore uh, we just don't need that kind of teacher around here. And that wasn't the case at all. But it, what the... It, here you've got a great weekend of success. And what's the first reaction of God's people? Well, we're going to find something wrong with it. You know why I honestly think we do that more than any other reason? And this is, this is, this is me assuming and probably making an accusation I shouldn't make, but I'm going to say it anyway. We do it because we feel guilty that we didn't have that kind of success, so it's easier to shut that one down than it is to step up and do the work ourselves. That's why I think those kind of things happen. And I think we need to be really careful about that. Remember what we talked about this morning. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Should we complain about the seven baptisms or should we jump up and, down, up, and up and down with joy and say, hey, give me their names, their numbers, their addresses. I'm going to write them cards. I'm going to go visit them this week. I want to encourage them. How can I help in this situation? Shouldn't that be what we're doing? And, but we don't. We don't. I, I was told this expression years ago, the church is the only organ army in the world that shoots its own wounded. And, and, and that's unfortunate. Because we should be the kind of church that is, that is caring for our wounded and, and being compassionate and loving and, and bringing people in and doing all the things that you see the church doing in the first century. 
we can learn so much from Cornelius' story. And I, I know, I, I, you know I, I try not to harp on evangelism very often, and I know I probably do more than I even think that I do because it's just the way my brain goes a, a lot of times. And my point tonight is not to guilt us about evangelism or, or any of those types of things. What I want us to understand more than anything, because I hope you paid attention to this in the is how absolutely involved and directing God was through every event in this story. That you've got a man who loves God and so God opens up the door. You've got a man who serves God as an apostle and so God lets him know the door is open. You've got a God who erases his fear and his prejudices with the vision. You've got God bringing two people together so that a man can hear the gospel. You've got God erasing the fears and the hesitations that are involved with bringing this, this Gentile man to Christ. You've got God every step of the way making it happen, and you've got Peter recognizing that. I mean, that's what I love here, that Peter says, we can't get in God's way. And I think sometimes we forget that our work that we do as God's people is just us doing things God's way. We like to come up with ideas and programs and, and all sorts of things that are, that are our way. And the truth is we need to just simply get back to doing things God's way. Which means... Pray that God opens doors. Be willing to walk through those doors and have those conversations. Rejoice when someone else walks through those doors. And don't criticize. If we could do that, if we could learn those lessons from this powerful story, we will have done an amazing thing. I love the stories in the book of Acts, don't you? And one of the things I love most about them is that it doesn't matter how many times I read them, it doesn't matter how many times I dig in, it doesn't matter how, uh, how familiar I am with them, every time I read through them, even if it's something I've known before, it, it kind of kicks me in the gut a little bit and says, you can do this even better. And, th and that's what I hope you take from tonight's lesson. We have some work we can do even better we can excel still more in them. We can do more of what God intends us to do. If you need to become a Christian, uh, your process is going to be the same as Cornelius's, minus the coming of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. But I'm going to give you the same instruction that, that Peter gave Cornelius. Be baptized. Same instruction, same rules, same benefits, same process. God wants you to wash away your sins so that you can belong to him. If you're not a child of God, I hope you'll, you'll do that. I hope you'll become one tonight. If you need the invitation to get your life right, please come forward as we stand and sing this song. Thanks for listening and studying God's word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation, 
or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.